3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, George, Zoya on the panel and Madison. Good morning. So we have to, before we get into our show, just acknowledge the fact that there was a spot of uh, dead air this morning if you were up in the early hours. That just It's just a thing that happens from time to time, hopefully not too much at 3CR, but you did catch the first third of the Radioactive show, which of course is the weekly show on Before Tuesday Breakfast mm. and some great stuff there. So if you want to catch the rest of that, maybe there's a way that they can put that up online for listeners. Yeah, we'll have, yeah. We'll have a chat with them Yeah, <laughs> and, make, and make sure that you get that because it sounds like a really, really interesting interview. Um, about nuclear energy, so <laughs> we're just creating hype over here for nuclear energy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, we could just play their show instead of our show, and, and you're probably going to learn more than, than our little morning ramblings. But yeah. um, speaking of morning ramblings, how are we all doing today? I'm feeling pretty exhausted mm. from my <laughs> my big gay weekend at Mardi Gras. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll go into that a little bit, little bit later. Yeah, <laughs> like it's more like yeah. big gay in in inverted commas. Yes, it sounds like it yeah. sounds like from some of the other things. Big gay with my eyes wide in a very stressed way. Like ah, it was <laughs> it was a bit of a circus. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah, first time as well. Uh, I remember the first time I went to Mardi Gras. I um, I cried with excitement and joy, and then uh, was just. Yeah, just eyes wide open. So I think we'll yeah. have a chat about that later on in the show. Um, my big excitement over the course of the week was I went to the Account for Coins bushfire benefit um, that uh, happened in the city last Wednesday. And it was honestly one of the most special nights of music of my life. Like I was just standing there just being like I am witnessing history. You know, it, every single artist was... Um, a woman of colour, you know, there was, you know, it was just absolutely phenomenal. The music was just amazing. Wow, what's one of the highlights? I mean, I feel like the whole thing was a highlight, but... It was all great. <laughs> I think it was the fact of people all coming together to to raise money for something really, really valuable. Yeah. And, and also really demonstrating that women of colour can make up the entire lineup of a show and sell out, mm-hmm. and not just sell out, but be one of those shows that was like one of the most high-energy, engaged shows I've ever been to. You know how Melbourne crowds can just be a bit, bit like, I'm really cool, mm. I'm going to stand at the back, you know, drink my beer. Meet you in the smokers, baby. Bop, bop, bop my head. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? This one, people were just going off. It was really, really, really great. So that was super exciting, and I'm really hoping that it is a watershed moment. Mm. I reckon. So I'm really hope I'm 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 pushing for us to play some music from different artists that appeared on the bill of that show so I can feel like I'm back there <laughs> rather than it being, you know, a, a 
dreary Tuesday morning because <laughs> both of you bore me so much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have no comeback for that. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm still waiting for my coffee to kick in. This is not great. The minute, the minute, the minute um, Anya takes a little bit of a, like a hiatus, I've got no one to throw my salty barbs at. I know. You can throw that. Mad- Madison's I'm a ge- I know I'm a Gemini. I feel like we should really bounce off each other, yeah. but I, I'm I'm I need a caffeine. I need a caffeine. My goodness, a single <laughs> <One> caffeine. caffeine <laughs> um, All right. Well, Madison, so your homework is to learn how to become more salty towards me. <laughs> okay, I, I will gladly take that on. <laughs> so let's talk about what we've got on. Yes, thing. let's actually talk about the show itself. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have the news headlines, obviously, coming up. Uh, after that, at seven twenty. Um, Madison will be speaking um, with Dr. Rachel Bergen and Saxon Mullen um, about um, the uh, Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy Advocacy Group, Mm. which was formed earlier this year. That sounds like a really, really interesting um, and valuable uh, topic. I'm very much looking forward to that interview. And then we'll be talking... Oh, sorry. No, you you go ahead, George. Uh, Then we'll be talking with Tori Hobbs from the Vermilion Project to talk about Endometriosis Awareness Month. And I'm actually really looking forward to this interview because Mm. it's not something I know a huge amount about, but I was looking at their Instagram page and they have some really accessible, like, user-friendly pieces of information on there and I learned a lot, so I'm really keen to hear more. Yeah, Tori's wonderful. Yeah, Yeah. cool. Endometriosis is something that affects so many people Mm. and it's just not really spoken about that much. Mm. So um, we've we've had the Vermilion Project on before and it was a fantastic, fantastic interview. Yeah. Um, And then I'll be speaking with um, Stephen Daly from IPAN uh, and we'll be talking about an announcement that the federal government made last week that they're going to put, you know, about... I think it was like a billion dollars into upgrading this airbase, Tyndall Airbase in the Northern Territory. And it's going to be used to, I think they're going to extend a runway and make a storage facility for US weapons, basically. Oh so we're, we're sort of, we'll be talking about what that means and in the context of perhaps the growing threat of some sort of conflict between the US and China and why Australia is a strategic location and why it's important to kind of be aware of what's going on mm. in this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then at 8.10, we have our um, sort of semi-monthly queer space segment. This time we have um, Kate Ford and Marie Claire, who will be coming in uh, to speak about breaking out of the binary, a queer feminist approach to practice with LGBTIQ plus people experiencing intimate partner or family violence. So there are mm. going to be a couple of things coming up in the show that may be, you know, a little bit heavy. So when we do talk about them, obviously, we will um, let you know when that conversation is happening. We'll give you a bit of a warning so you can go off, make yourself a cup of tea or whatever. Um, but now we have the news. News headlines. Mm. Well, I'd really love to put a little edit with some um, like very Channel 7-esque yes. news. I'll, <laughs> I'll work on it. I'll work on it. News I'd headlines. I could really do my <laughs> Sandra <laughs> Sally voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we go. Perfect. We, yeah, we could just do it, do it analog. That, yeah. was, that was great. That was exactly, that was exactly it. So um, the Queensland Police Service uh, says 84 serving officers have been accused of domestic violence in the past five years. 
84, which I oh. found quite staggering. Um, it is important to remember that the police state and the notion of police investigating other members of the police force is incredibly fraught with inconsistencies and hierarchical systems of loyalty. So as The Guardian reported, it is notoriously difficult to sack a police officer as it is terrifyingly difficult for an individual to report his crimes as well. So whilst the Queensland Police Service argues that family violence is unacceptable, it still refuses to say why no officers have, in effect, been let go, despite Mm. 84 have been accused. No officers? Zero. Nada. Um, So we just finished Mardi Gras season, which was rampant with pinkwashing and the corporatisation of queerness and just liberation more generally. Um, and the irony of how much Mardi Gras has changed, so to speak, can be found in how members of the New South Wales Police Force arrested three protesters from the Department of Homo Affairs, which I just adore, um, <laughs> for staging a demonstration against the official Liberal Party float. Mm. <laughs> Everything about that sentence is absurd. <laughs> The Department of Homo Affairs took to Twitter to further explain the protest. Um, the Liberal Party invade our celebration, they said. They are an unauthorised entry at Mardi Gras and their endeavour to celebrate 250 years of white supremacy will be intercepted. Mm. The demonstration coincides with a larger conversation about the inclusion of police in the celebrations. Given that the first Mardi Gras was a protest against police brutality, it feels painfully ironic to have this particular parade controlled and managed by the force that so adamantly and violently rejected LGBTQI plus folks in the first place. Um, mm. And being there, that was very obvious that it was it was a um, linking arms event with the police. And that, that makes me think of, was it uh, last year? Auckland Pride refused to allow the police to march. Was it last year or the year before? So they banned police from marching in the parade. I believe it's Auckland Pride. I'm speaking from the top of my head here, obviously. Um, And a whole bunch of corporate sponsors pulled out. And the campaign went, the Pride Parade went ahead without corporate sponsors. I I believe, again, might have to look this up. Uh, But uh, yeah, like there was, they, they made a stance against it because of the history of police brutality. Gee, that's, so important yeah, and it's, it's the only one that I've that I know of off the top of my head that's yes, done that yes can confirm that was 2018 yeah Correct. wow okay so two years ago yeah, yeah. Um, more than 20 indigenous legal and child welfare organisations in New South Wales have demanded for the <clears throat> New South Wales Premier to take urgent action on the most recent in a series of damning reviews of the state's child protection system the review found that child protection workers regularly gave misleading evidence to the children's court, often took the most traumatic option by removing First Nations and Aboriginal children, including newborns, from their families, and operated in a closed system that lacked transparency, had no effective regulator, and was run with little or no genuine consultation with the Aboriginal community. So nothing has changed. Uh, And the fallout from the novel coronavirus outbreak has hit the local industry hard. Reports abound of up to 80% falls in patronage um, at Chinese restaurants, which is just absolutely awful for business. Chinatown institutions are shuddering after 30 years of trade. Shifts are being cut, staff are being let go, and owners are scraping their savings to make rent. There has been overt and covert racism on the streets, social media and sections of the established media have communicated loud and clear that if the virus were to spread here, the East Asian community would face unprecedented hatred and blame. 
As Juliana Yu wrote for The Guardian, anti-Chinese xenophobia has been an accepted part of the domestic discourse for some time now. Whether they're ruining universities or the housing market or stealing infant formula straight from the mouths of our babies... But now more than ever, parts of the Chinese-Australian community are feeling abandoned in a time of total crisis and are wondering if Chinese people have ever been seen as anything more than cheap labour for cheap goods and cheap food or a money-printing machine for the tourism and education industries. They're wondering, are we human to you? So, yeah, that's that's um, not at all a light news headlines segment. <laughs> God, that, la- that last bit, um, that quote, that... It really makes you think, doesn't it, that almost the commodification of people's bodies and existence, mm. and not just that, but it's the commodification of it across across borders in this really complex way. And when we combine that in with all the 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 the, the all the differing levels of uh, um, of extraction that happen when it comes to um, international students, especially international students mm. from Asia, you know, the, the way landlords, you know, treat um, students and cramming them into spaces and the unbelievably low pay that people get um, working in cafes and things like that. Totally. It, it just piles up and up and up and then all you need is a single moment like this to show just how... Oh, God, that just makes me really, really angry. They're on the latest SNL skit, um, which I thought was hilarious, Bowen Yang played a profiled Asian in an airport, um, and it was, yeah, he did it quite beautifully. Um, and, yeah, it's it's something that a lot I've seen a lot of um, activists using the, the hashtag, uh, I am not a virus, um, on Twitter, mm. which is a really, it's worth worth having a look at because it's quite moving. Yeah. Oh, gosh, the world. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we'll go to a community service announcement, and uh, when we come back, we might have some really great music for you from (laughs) the Bushfire Benefit. Tune in to 3CR on March 8th as we dish up another feast of radical ideas to end gender inequality. Centering the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women, and gender-diverse people. Challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights, as well as music and performance. From 11pm Saturday, March 7 to midnight Sunday, March 8 on 3CR Digital, A55am and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Check the website for more details. Roasting the Patriarchy. Recipes for dismantling the system. You are listening to 3CR and the following program is in command. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, I appear to have introduced myself um, as a show that's in Khmer. I'm afraid it's not. It's all in English because I have forgotten any language I ever learned in my entire life. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I said I was going to be playing a song from the uh, Bushfire Benefit, but instead I got steamrolled by Madison and George, who instead wanted to play something else. So this is another song, apparently. <laughs> 
been a long year been a long fall and the cold is setting in a decade going on a decade going wrong but you
Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. Yell frog and lizard. I really know. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of autonomous zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. We were just listening to a really smooth track called Decades by Wilma Archer featuring Laura Groves and Samuel T. Herring. I thought that was a nice way to start the, uh, start the show. And we are about to chat to the incredible Saxon Mullins, who is a survivor advocate um, when it comes to uh, violence against women and um, also, Dr. Rachel Bogan, who is a lecturer at the School of Law in at Swinburne. Sorry, oh, I need to have my one caffeine again. <laughs> awesome. Are you on the line, guys? Yes. Hi. Hi. No, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, uh, you're speaking to Madison here. So earlier this year, the Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy Group was formed. Can you both tell us a little bit about this um, and why you felt it was needed? Yeah, uh, so we formed the Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy Initiative in response to what we think is a crisis Mm -hmm. of sexual violence in Australia that is largely uh, going ignored. Um, And so so we wanted to sort of collaborate and, and sort of join forces, if you will, to to address what we think is, is a should be a national uh, priority. Totally, totally. Um, I think that's such a such an important point, and I've you know seen quite a few interviews with you, Saxon, in particular, um, and I think it's incredibly brave to be talking about something so deeply personal, but so wide ranging and um, overarching in Australia's cultural climate. Um, and your website says that you're working to change community attitudes about sexual consent and assertively promote best practice in rape and sexual assault law reform. Um, firstly, what kind of work do you see needs to happen to change community attitudes? Well, I think to begin with, we need to keep having these conversations that we're having right now um, to keep the discussion around this 
alive so that people understand when these laws are changing, why are they changing, what was wrong with them, you know, to begin with. And then, of course, we need to we need to be educating people, like educating young people about consent and relationships at, at, at a very young age. Um, our colleague, Katrina Marson, is extremely active and, and interested in the education aspect. Um, and she recently completed a Churchill Fellowship researching the implementation of relationships and sex education. And her report, um, Ignorance is Not Innocence, highlights the importance of this kind of education and, and how to do it well. And I think we really need to look into um, those aspects as well. You know, if we just change the law and then do nothing else, it's, it's not enough. We don't want to just see these cases go through the legal system. We, we want them to not happen in the first place. Absolutely. I think you've raised a really important point there. Like it's very hard to speak about the law in general without acknowledging how little the law by itself does. Um, mm. You know, as you've noticed, education and community attitudes are so important and they're not necessarily, it's not like a chicken and the egg argument here, but they don't, they don't just live in isolated spaces. Um, mm. yeah. Well, then what ultimately would you like Australia's rape laws to look like? Um, that's probably a question for me. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, and, and Saxon and I discuss this obviously all the time. But I think we need to start thinking around what what consent actually looks like in people's experiences, um, and also, I mean, as, and Saxon highlighted this really well at the end of what she just said then about uh, education. But you know, we are not trying to get increased convictions. We're trying to mm. end rape. Mm. And, and we need to keep that in view. There's a lot of, a lot of discussion happening around law reform in Australia. And, you know, there are two ongoing reviews into consent law and, and, and rape or sexual assault in New South Wales and in Queensland. And, and, you know, we've been quite involved in those discussions. And what is so clear to us is that we get so bogged down in these, you know, tiny aspects of the law that we forget that we're actually there to prevent violence. Mm. The law plays a role in that, but it is not the um, silver bullet that it's sometimes constructed as being. This is one step in a long process. So I think for this step, what we want rape law to look like is we want there to be, um, you know, a, an expectation on all sexual actors, so mm-hmm. anyone who's having sex, to take active steps to make sure that the other person also wants to have sex. Absolutely. And that's not that rat not radical (laughs) but when it comes to putting that into law it is a tricky thing you Mm. know um saxon and i have both spoken out against the draft proposals that new south wales law reform commission handed down at the end of last year Mm -hmm. you know they did not instate an ex you know that expectation that if a person is claiming that they had a reasonable and honest belief in consent that they showed that they that came out of active steps you know through actions and words that they took you know, the, the New South Wales government did not, um, sorry, the New South Wales Law Reform Commission did not have that element as a mandatory expectation in their draft proposal. So we're wanting to see that being um, fixed, I guess, for the for the final proposals, which we hope are released soon. And that will give us a good indication of where um, support from, you know, outside of the survivor community is at uh, in terms of of sexual consent, but that is, again, one step in a whole journey towards, you know, zero women experiencing rape and sexual violence. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, you raised a really good point 
there. I, I mean, for rape law to look like something, we, we need to know what consent looks like. And I think in a, as a society, we don't really know what consent really looks like in a legal context as well as an interpersonal context. Um, and there's something really disturbing about the assumption that consent discussion or initiation is, is jarring in an interpersonal setting. Um, something you said just before then that really struck with me, you know, support outside of the survivor community. I'd really like to talk to you both um, about the labour of, of taking on these roles as, as a survivor of violence. Um, how important is it for people outside of your lived experiences to do the heavy lifting in these spaces? Well, um, you know, I think being a known survivor myself and being one of one of the directors of our IR initiative, um, it's really important for me to, to be both of those, not mm. just a survivor that they consult, but an active participant in what we're trying to achieve. Um, and the brilliant researchers that I'm working with, including Rachel, um, are not just giving me lip service. We're collaborating on this project together. Um, we have equal say in the direction that we're going. So for them to value my voice, I think, comes across in the work that we do. Um, and it helps us to remind us to centre victims outside our, our network as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's so important to acknowledge that a lot of the people working in this space, working in this advocacy and research space, whether or not, you know, they're, they're out, a lot of the women, you know, just in your life that, you know, have been touched by this sort of crime, by sexual assault, by sexual harassment. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, the main aspect for, for me anyway is that we need to be getting men on board as well mm-hmm. um, because that's, you know, and again, that's that community education thing. Men listen to men. And so, you know, when they're on board with us and they're saying, not only do we think it's wrong because it's affected us or, you know, someone we hold dear, but, we, we but, you know, us as men, we also think this is wrong because it just is. Mm, mm. Um, that point about victims outside of your network is is really, really good. And I, I do want to speak to you about um, prioritising survivors in, in your work. But, you know, that point about sexual violence being so deeply pervasive and it, 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 if it's not the crime itself, it's the threat of that crime that, that haunts us. Um, mm, yeah. And the voices of survivors are so often ignored um, and talked over in these discussions. So how do you prioritise survivors in your work, especially survivors of a wide range of, of different circumstances? Yeah, well, I think for us, you know... Um, just having having myself on there, it, it's sort of just that constant reminder because, I, you know, while while they're obviously thinking about victims in their work, I, I'm I'm sort of coming at it from that exact perspective. Mm. Um, and so when, when our ideas come together, they're coming from those two points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's really easy when we have people who have experienced it or, you know, and then people who haven't and when our ideas sort of come together, it, it incorporates both of those things and finds like the, the sort of the core of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but, I mean, sexual violence occurs on a, on a continuum of, mm. of, you know, violence against women. Um, and I think what, you know, just to mirror what, what Saxon has just said, you know, she does lead us. She is, you know, very involved in every decision that we make. And that's one way. But I think there's also a changing of the tide a little bit around how involved um, survivor advocates or survivors who, who maybe aren't even, um, you know, out, as we kind of talk about it, um, yeah. as survivors, but, you know, working behind the scenes. Um, you know, and, and there's been a few um, ways we've seen that, even in, in the consultations around the law reform changes in New South Wales and Queensland. 
you know, we were just in Brisbane last week at a survivor forum, um, which was just about raising the voice and experience of survivors. What we need to wait and see is how that then translates into law reform. Historically, survivors and have not played a role in the law reform process. Yeah. In fact, historically, academics haven't either. <laughs> so, you know, the really the 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 relationship between law reform and any type of you know discussion and critique about evidence-based um, research has been quite ad hoc. So this is a bit of a changing of the tide, and sexual assault law reform has been the initiator of that. And we have a lot to, to thank Saxon for because she she was very brave in sharing her story and demanding a change. So mm. we're, we we see our um, collaboration as, as a way to continue that work together and, and hopefully lighten the load a little for each other. So Absolutely. And where can people listening um, at home follow your work? Well, there's a few places. So yep. we've got... Uh, a website, mm-hmm. so um, it's rasara.org, that's R-A-S-A-R-A.org, mm-hmm. or on Twitter, we're at Rape Reform. Beautiful. Um, thank you both so much for joining us on the show. You're both doing such wonderful work, and I really applaud you for your persistence in a cultural system that silences and belittles the voices of survivors and women more generally. So keep up the fantastic work, and thank you for taking the time for us this morning. Oh. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, resilience, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February 20 to March 6 at Cinema Nova and venues across Melbourne. Head to transitionsfilmfestival.com for details. A 3CR supporter. Tune into 3CR on March 8th as we dish up another feast of radical ideas to end gender inequality. Centering the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women and gender diverse people. Challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights as well as music and performance. From 11 p.m. Saturday, March 7 to midnight Sunday, March 8 on 3CR Digital, 8.55 a.m. and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Check the website for more details. Roasting the Patriarchy. Recipes for dismantling the system. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, previously, we just heard a fantastic interview um, that Madison had with um, uh, Dr. Rachel Bergen, Dr. Rachel Bergen, and Saxon Mullins, um, both working tirelessly in the area of law reform when it comes to uh, sexual violence. Their energy is pretty incredible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that was that was a really really great interview. Um, I know that Anya, who uh, hosts with us. 
sometimes and is now um, getting on to doing Women on the Line, said, do a good interview so that I can use it in Women <laughs> on the Line. So you may hear that interview again at some point, which would be really, really great because it really was a great interview that, that very, very um, well put together um, uh, sort of construction of, of, of why it is that we need to have that law reform. Mm. Uh, coming up in a bit, we, we'll be having uh, an interview with the um, Vermilion Project about endometriosis, but we thought we'd just take a bit of a moment to have a chat about a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, firstly, just sort of segueing on from that um, law reform conversation, um, it is International Women's Day Woo! this weekend, <laughs> um, and there will be uh, obviously a march happening and various other things. Um, you heard just before community service announcement about it. Uh, that 3CR on this Sunday will be covering International Women's Day. Um, they'll be having um, an exploration of different radical ideas to end mm. gender inequality and will, of course, be centering um, the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women and gender diverse people um, challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, ableism, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights, music and performance, and that is going all the way from 11 p.m. Saturday to midnight Sunday. Yes. So it is a big, big 20, 25 hours of content that is really covering stuff that often, I don't know, I look out on all this stuff on International Women's Day, and it's all just, you know, you know what really drives me up the wall about it, and we'll get onto Mardi Gras in a second, and it's, it, it relates to this, <laughs> yeah. is you look at all these events about International Women's Day that come to this talk, come and do this, and they use these stock photos mm. for, the, for the events, and they're always women of colour. Mm. But then guess what the women on the panel look like? Not that. No, <laughs> no. There's, there's, there's a panel that I saw recently. It was advertised. The image that they used was um, a black woman, and then every single person on the panel was blonde. Wow. Not even white. They were all blonde. Wow. And I was like, wow. Diversity. Hashtag drill boss. Yeah, hashtag drill boss. <laughs> so th- something like this, 3CR covering something like this in this way is a really important way to cover a day that is is still an important day, but we need to think about whose voices. And if you really do like my voice, mm-hmm. um, I will be on air between 2 and, no, between 1 and 2 p.m., gosh, um, speaking about animal rights um, and feminism, which is an old chestnut I like to harp on about and will continue to do so. And you <laughs> harp on about it so well. Thank you. Thank and you. And speaking about harping on. Yes. Harping on, Mardi marching Gras. on. Marching on. Um, yeah. So I went to Mardi Gras this weekend. It was my first time. Um, and I felt very much like it was a circus, but I was the circus and I hadn't really consented to being the circus mm-hmm. um but i was on the i was on a float um which was quite an absurd experience and i'm not really sure how much i can say um without getting myself into trouble but i mean i i doubt that the same audiences <laughs> are listening <laughs> to radical so radio <laughs> <laughs> like before 8am as yeah, well yeah. um but no it was uh it was interesting seeing certain members of the community who aren't members of the LGBTQI plus community but but had rainbow eyeshadow on and uh, over 100,000 followers were prioritised to be in the march um, and members of the LGBTQI plus community were visibly taken off certain events or um, certain floats to make space for 
um, influences, so to speak. So it was a real smorgasbord of, of straight fetishization of queer yes. culture. Yeah, mm. uh, pinkwashing is one of the things that we really focus on often in our show because it's something that we're very um, passionate about. And it not is washing with pink ourselves. <laughs> Fun. It does sound great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, it's like the same as um, gaycation. Was it? I thought yeah. talking about like if you misunderstand that word to mean just a bunch of gays going on holiday. Uh, just together. a really fun. Yeah, I mean, as opposed to being like someone's you know fantasy for the night. Yeah, yeah I really love so the pink idea. Washing of it. could yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, every holiday for me is a gaycation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, a gay on vacation. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> pushing is not something positive. Yeah, unfortunately. No, no. Obviously, no. as we we spoke about this quite a few times, pink washing is you know corporations using queer spaces, queer justice movements, um, and co-opting them and saying that they are part of those movements while still behind the scenes or in a lot of their things perpetuating these systems of oppression that impact us as queer mm. people. Absolutely. And I think there's something really terrifying about the sudden um, caricaturization of queer aesthetics. Mm. You know, I, I, I was not dressed up. I appeared as I appear every day. Um, but in the context of Mardi Gras, it gave people who I didn't know permission to touch my head and to sort of engage with me in a way that was very like, um, here's a visibly queer person, let's let's touch, um, mm. let's get involved, which I, I did find um, quite quite exhausting after mm. a while having so there's a queer let's chase it let's chase it like it was a little bit like i was a meerkat at the zoo yeah. um actually I'm, i made this point i think before you went to mardi gras we were talking about it and i said that it reminded going to mardi gras reminded me of when i was a kid and i went to a petting zoo <laughs> and i just remember looking around being like what fresh hell is this mm. at the petting zoo not well actually this the exact same feeling mardi gras in the petting zoo when i was five <laughs> And I looked around and I'm like, why, why are all these people chasing these animals? And I saw this one kid just, there was this little baby goat just sprinting across the paddock and this kid chasing after it, wanting to cuddle the goat. And I just thinking, why? And I, when I went to Mardi Gras, I felt like the goat. Yes. Yeah. yeah just running. Yeah. Running. As these straight women are like, you're stunning. <laughs> I want your hair. And you're like, you don't. Because if you did, you would have my hair also I don't have much hair to want and that's why you're chasing me um I find it so hard to I, I find it so hard to imagine like yeah. it just sounds horrific it was it's really funny seeing also the straight's interpretation of what queerness looks like yeah. is, is a really funny um thing to watch you know you've, you've got these very laddie straight men in rainbow jock straps with their girlfriends and it's it's just it's it's almost too much of a sensory. I was I was a little bit like, what what drugs have I taken to be to be <laughs> witnessing this? It's so there's so many confusing you know correlations and weird. Just I don't know. It's really yeah. odd. When in yeah. reality, queer culture is us all sitting around drinking cups of tea, talking about our deep insecurities. Entirely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, che like checking our star signs. Yeah. Um, I did. There was one person I did think was queer, and I did ask her. Her sun, moon, and rising, um, <laughs> and I thought that was a very uh, generous 
thing to to do on my part to be like welcome to my community uh this is the language we speak <laughs> i think it's a good test to figure out um, at, at those kinds of spaces whether it's a straight person on gaycation or if it's yes. you know because yeah. i mean you know i don't even ascribe to star signs and yet i know i intimately know my sun moon and rising absolutely it's, it's important you have to know the language of your people mm. yes <laughs> it is it is really um interesting in terms of yeah just what what is uh, what are permissible visible representations of queerness and how do we like those examples that you mentioned if we're all sort of more in that camp where where are the spaces that allow you to be able to express that totally and I just I I imagine it would have been a really dissociative experience for um queers that aren't uh, you know say a a lot of femme folks or, or people that aren't necessarily um fall within the the categories that straightness is prescribed to us mm-hmm. I imagine that would be really dissociative for them yeah. um you know as much as I didn't like feeling like the like the goat um I did feel seen and I imagine it would have been another experience entirely to not feel seen mm-hmm. and that's the thing I have to remember we're making these jokes about star signs and this and that and whatever mm-hmm. but obviously queer queer people run the full gamut of every type of identity and every type of being absolutely and you could be like a super femme person who likes you know not wearing a single skerrick of rainbow it, yeah or, or whatever you know it, it that that doesn't deny your queerness and and these kinds of spaces force people into mm. having their queerness often denied and then we buy into it with these jokes that we just have about star signs and whatever and yeah absolutely that it's you do you as one might say there was one float before we finish this conversation uh that i really loved and it was the south asian queer float and i thought you'd all like oh, it cool. as well yes that's very exciting. Good to know that that was a thing. That it happened. was a thing. Let's yeah. join them next time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we might go to a little bit of a song, and after that, we will have an interview. So this song is um, Miss Shiny by Kite, who played at the Bushfire Benefit. She called me diamond on the weekday Got so much pressure That's why this song be stuck on replay I got pressure She called me diamond No time for mistake Too scared for writing You know I dreamed this reality Since I was a young and Right now who I be And now the manifestation's coming in Now why you acting like Now why you acting like that Put your thoughts into the universe and she gon' bring it right back. You so high on yourself, mama, you don't need that. No, you your biggest critic, girl. Best believe that. Best believe that. Best believe that. Cause, why? I needed to hear that. Am I overthinking? There for me and my pointless stress, it won't be the remedy for my motivation that I feel I need. Ooh, I got pressure. She called me diamond on the weekday. Got so much pressure. That's why this song be stuck on replay. And I got, I got pressure. She called me diamond on the weekday. Pressure. That's why this song be stuck on replay. 
the remedy for my motivation that I feel I need. Ooh. I got pressure. She called me diamond on the weed is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with myself, George, Sawyer and Madison. The time is 7.51 and on the line we have Tori Hobbs from the Vermilion Project who's here to talk to us about Endometriosis Awareness Month. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Tori. Happy Endo Month. <laughs> so before we talk about Endo Month, can you tell us a bit about the Vermilion Project? I think you might have been on the show before, but for any listeners who haven't heard... Yes, yeah, so our founder, Swati, was on the show a couple of months ago. Mm. So um, the Million Project is a non-profit that was created by us. So we have lived experience of um, chronic illnesses. So it's created by people with lived experience or people with lived experience of chronic illness. And our main aim is to m- promote the um, economic and social participation of people affected by menstrual health conditions in the workplace. So our primary focus is sort of empowering people to self-advocate for themselves at work. It's, it sounds so incredibly important, particularly because of the fact that these issues are so silenced. Yeah, so endometriosis is quite a common condition, more so than people think. So pretty much endo is a disease where um, the tissue is similar to the lining of the uterus grow outside of it in other parts of the body. And it can cause um, chronic pelvic pain, infertility and other symptoms that can decrease a person's quality of life. And 830,000 people in Australia experience endometriosis with that number likely being much higher due to Mm. the fact that it takes a long time to get diagnosed. So there are plenty of people going to work, living with this condition and not really knowing how to experience, like, you know, talk about it to their managers. Yeah, and that figure is so high as it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it, it it is something that I guess often when people say, oh, I've got period pain, we kind of... Um, we minimise it a little bit because it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, everyone has period pain, so what is what is the big deal? But to kind of understand that there are that it is a scale and there are different, um, yeah, the different ways you can experience that, I think, is a really important thing to acknowledge and talk about. Yeah, well, there are different stages of endometriosis, but it doesn't it isn't really congruent with the amount of pain that people experience. So you can have mild endometriosis, like technically, but you can be in extreme pain every day, not be able to go out, not be mm. able to go to the shops, and it really affects your quality of life. Yeah, and I, what's your Instagram um, 
page? What's it called? If listeners so our Instagram is the Vermilion Project, mm. and it's the same um, name as our Facebook as well. Yeah, we've also got a Twitter that's just the Vermilion. Uh, that's just Vermilion Proj. Apparently, yeah. the Vermilion Project was taken. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because I really liked um, <laughs> one of your posts, and you have all these posts that just have really useful information if people want to check that out on your Instagram, where you talk about how um, it costs thirty grand a year. Uh, someone loses 30 grand a year who has endometriosis because of the high levels of pain and, and not being able to work. And I thought that was a really important fact to, to put out there. Yeah, so um, apparently the government spends, um, well, loses billions of dollars every year just based on the amount of sick leave that people take mm. um, in the workplace directly linked to endometriosis. So this is just specifically people with endo having to take time off of work because they can't go because of their... Um, symptoms they're experiencing mm. but pretty much we're trying to well this endo month we're trying to highlight um, those issues that people face in the workplace and I've experienced that firsthand myself I'm a registered nurse mm. um, and I've got five years experience as a nurse but I've got 15 years experience as someone with endo mm. and I was only diagnosed in the past couple of years so I've pretty much gone my whole working life experiencing incredibly mm. negative the negative symptoms of endo and Sometimes I was so sick that I just couldn't go to work and leaving work early, being embarrassed about talking about it to my managers. And it sort of culminated in this extreme anxiety about going to work and eventually I had to leave my job, um, which was quite a terrible experience. And even though I'm really happy in the job that I have now, the experience was really hard to navigate. And if it was that hard to navigate as someone, as a person working in the health field, I can only imagine that it's way harder for people who are working in other industries like retail, hospitality. So hopefully um, this month we can gather some stories. Pretty much we're trying to um, gather stories from people who have experiences similar to mine in the workplace in the hopes of educating people about what they can do to educate themselves about their condition and educate their workplace and sort of self-advocate. Um, hi, Tori. It's Madison here. Just so you know, it's not George speaking. Um, uh-huh. I just wanted to um, to ask about, to, to further extend that point, um, about getting a diagnosis and what that inability to get a diagnosis does to your sense of self. You know, I know, um, and this is something I'm sure you and I have, have touched on um, in the past, but... For me, like having um, vaginismus, it took it took me eight years to get a diagnosis, and that that sort of scrabbling in medical spaces and my own sort of personal spaces to feel like my pain was valid and like it existed did so much harm to my sense of self. So, you know, in your position, like, what does that inability to get a diagnosis um, do to one's sense of self and how one makes sense of the pain they experience? Well, it can affect you in so many different ways. Like, I think just on a personal level, it can affect your mental health and your self-esteem. Like, having these um, sort of symptoms and, you know, your friends are all going out and you can't go out with them because you've got pelvic pain, but then you're not exactly sure why you've got pelvic pain because no one's given you a name for what you're experiencing. And just not only just on a personal level, but also on a level of, like, when you go to work and if you have these, symptoms but then you can't get an official diagnosis it is incredibly hard for you to get reasonable adjustments in the workplace Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately the diagnosis um, for endometriosis at the moment the gold standard is laparoscopic surgery Mm -hmm. which um, can leave you on a wait list for up to two years sometimes so if you don't have the funds to afford it if you can't you know 
fork out a couple of thousand dollars for the surgery. You have to wait for up to two years, and for a lot of people, that can mean two years of no income. Yeah, wow. And it can mean two years of, you know, being on Centrelink, and that can be really difficult in itself, like proving that you're eligible to get disability payments without an official diagnosis. So it's very, very complex. Absolutely. That's, that sounds like such a massive barrier, that wait list, but also the fact that it has to be officially diagnosed. You can't just... You can't just tell your employer that that's your experience and they take that seriously. Yeah, exactly. Like, I only got diagnosed at the end of 2018, but I knew within myself from the time I was a teenager that there was something wrong. But unfortunately, um, just in terms of, like, where the Medicaid, like, the um, medical system is at at the moment, a lot of GPs um, don't quite believe that young people can experience these symptoms, although it is known that the onset of symptoms begins when you're a teenager or when you mm. have your first period is often when you start to sort of feel the symptoms of endometriosis and things like adenomyosis as well. Um, so it's quite difficult to get a diagnosis considering a lot of people, a lot of people statistically have experienced symptoms for seven to 12 years by the time they get mm. a diagnosis for endo, which is for a lot of people, if they get diagnosed in their 20s, that is pretty much nearly half of their life that they've spent in pain. Yeah. Wow, that's huge. And so yeah. what uh, you've touched on a few things already, but what are some of the main things you're hoping to achieve this end of month? So our main hope is to sort of find people who've experienced situations similar to mine. Like I found through the whole process um, in my previous workplace that it was incredibly hard to find the information on what to do when you're physically not able to cope. And it was really hard to find out what my rights were under current industrial law. I feel like it's very difficult to access that information if you're just a lay person, if you're not really mm. um, a person who's law savvy. So it can be really hard for people with chronic illnesses to actually find out how to self-advocate and how do you maintain a job so you can afford all the necessities of life, so you can afford rent, you can afford medication and all of that. So we're hoping this endo month to collect stories from people in the hopes of educating them about what to do um, and to pass on that information to um, people who are decision makers in the industry um, so that we can use their experiences to be like, look, there's thousands of people in the country who are experiencing this and it would help if we sort of knew what to do. Like, it's so hard to find sort of like a dot point plan of like go to your manager say this do that like you have to really yeah. search and it can be a really taxing experience for people and often just leads to people leaving the workplace when that should be the last resort yeah absolutely and I saw on your Instagram that you you said that late last year there was some funding announced to be put towards uh, people with endometriosis has this already happened has this already taken effect or um, so Greg Hunt, who's the health minister, had a chat to a lot of um, peak bud, um, bodies in the sort of endometriosis advocacy area. Um, so I think there's $9 million in government funding that's going to be allocated um, to endometriosis, so diagnostic testing, um, research in the area, um, so that people can have a better understanding of the causes. Because we know how endo works, but we don't know why it happens. So the government said that they want to try and do that to sort of help get around finding a cause. I don't think the um, money has been allocated as yet, but it is close to happening, I'm pretty sure. But again, $9 million, considering the uh, sheer amount of people in Australia who experience endometriosis, which is 830,000, is, you know, 
it's a it's a good step, but mm. there's still plenty more to do. Yeah, yeah, start for now. But yeah, uh, and just as my last question, how can people reach you if they want to share their story? Um, so the best way to reach us at the moment would be through our Facebook or Instagram, which is the Vermilion Project with one L. Um, we are going to be posting um, information about how you can contact us with your stories. So if you hop on there and keep your eyes peeled, you'll find out. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Tori. This is such an important issue to be speaking about, and we really appreciate you enlightening us. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much. Hi, my name's Pilar Aguilera, and I'm 3CR's chairperson. I'm urging you to become a 3CR subscriber. We need to keep independent, radical, dissenting voices on air. Social change doesn't just happen. We need to nurture it. We desperately need to hear alternative ideas that allow us to organise, build community and change the systems that continue to oppress us and destroy the planet. Put your money where your mouth is. Become a member. Subscribe today. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing Whitefellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Tune in to 3CR on March 8th as we dish up another feast of radical ideas to end gender inequality. Centering the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women and gender diverse people. Challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights, as well as music and performance. From 11pm Saturday, March 7 to midnight Sunday, March 8 on 3CR Digital, 8.55am and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Check the website for more details. Roasting the Patriarchy. Recipes for Dismantling the System. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Racing through with another interview on the line, we have Stephen Darley, who is from IPAN, an IPAN spokesperson who's here to talk to us about a recent upgrade that's been announced to Tyndall Air Base in the Northern Territory. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Stephen. Hi, Stephen, are you there? Yes, I'm yes. here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's all right. So talk us through this upgrade. Okay, well, um, we found out about it through a press release that was put on by the Australian government because um, the Prime Minister went there, Scott Morrison, but we also found out at the same time that um, a large amount of work had already been done on Tendal Air Force Base, so this is more of an opportunity um, so $500 million has already been spent on it, um, and that's to accommodate the F-35 um, Joint Strike Fighter, the new uh, 72 new, or some of the 72 new fighters that they're buying from Lockheed Martin. 
mm. Australian government at a very high price. And uh, you probably know already, your listeners may, about how um, problematic the F-35 is. And it's many, many problems. Um, but in any case, that's what the $500 million is for. The $1.1 billion is to upgrade it further. And it seems clear that most of that is to be spent to accommodate U.S. long-range bombers, B-52s and B-1s. Um, so the the and the B ones at least are likely to be nuclear armed. Mm. And this is clearly something that we should have a say about. And why do you think that the US is using Australia as a base? What is the reason for this? Well, the Northern Territory um, with long range bombers is within reach of um, southern China as well as the Straits of Malacca. That is the um, main strait between the Pacific and Indian Oceans. And if you were interdicting, as the term is, um, if you were intercepting Chinese um, commercial as well as military traffic between the two oceans, then that strait is a choke point that you would want to mm. attack. So it's very much about the Americans. There's also the Timor Straits is the, uh, the second most important uh, one, and again, Darwin and Northern Territory is within reach of that. Yeah. So it's really about the American um, uh, offensive activity against China. Yeah. And is this something that is being amped up, has been amped up in recent years, that oh, the yes. U.S. wanted the, to have? The um, yeah. Darwin Marine Base has been increased in numbers. Yeah. Um, uh, this, these bombers will be an even more potent amping up, so to speak, because nuclear weapons is obviously um, bringing it up to high stakes. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, in, it's part of the, the overall American posture change. You may remember the term uh, pivot uh, to the Asia-Pacific, yeah. which was used under Obama. Yeah. And that's about um, sending more of the American military and all its diff- different branches to the to, to confront China as opposed to um, Europe and Russia. Yeah. And this, this seems like an issue that can slowly creep up without it being a big, there being a big media storm about it, which is why it's important for us to be having this conversation this morning, I suppose. Well, that's right. Yeah. It, it's the, the Australian, and part of the problem with that is that the, the two major parties are more or less in lockstep on this issue. Mm. The American alliance is hardly ever questioned. Um, now, this... <laughs> Technically, this is, did go through par- some parliamentary scrutiny in that it was part of the 10-year plan for spending $200 billion on Australia's defence, mm. which we would argue is a lot, of, a lot of it is about supporting the Americans rather than defence yeah. of Australia. But it's, also, it's now increased to more like $250 billion because yeah. some of the big ticket items have increased in cost, the F-35, the future submarine, the... Um, anti-submarine frigates, the future sub-frigates, all of them have increased in in, um, in cost, uh, as is always the situation with the military-industrial complex. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is it creeps up on you because the media doesn't give it all that much attention. Yeah. But uh, the Prime Minister made it very clear in his announcement. He said, quote, it will be, this upgrade will be integral to our alliance with the United States and will increase the reach of Air Force capabilities in the Indo-Pacific. Mm. Um, now, you know, why do you need an increase in uh, Air Force capabilities in the Indo-Pacific? Is the, the Solomon Islands are threatening Australia? Um, of course not. It's it's about China, um, our biggest trading partner. Yeah. So that's, that's what this is all about. And so 
What do we need to do to be more informed on this issue and to be able to oppose it? Well, I guess we need to listen to more alternative media across the board, including mm. groups like 3CR, because you're not going to get a great deal. You're going to get the announcements in, in places like The Australian, but you're not going to get any analysis that, that yeah. doesn't say it's, it's crucial and important to the defence of Australia, the same old rabbiting on that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, by the way, it's of interest that this uh, Tyndall Air Force Base was originally built by the Americans during the Second World War to house um, US um, heavy bombers um, to attack the Japanese, of course. Mm. So it's really returning to, to, to some degree to its original purposes. Yeah. Yeah, so it has a long history, and I guess that question of defence for what, you know, I think we have to challenge at, at every step the in, increasing of, of Australia being a militarised country, and it's something that is slowly just building, and there isn't, there isn't a lot of conversation about it, and I think it's, it's a really, really important issue. Yeah, well, there's no... We, we, in our time, we don't challenge that, that Australia needs some defences, mm. but we challenge what's being spent is the enormous amount of money, $250 billion over 10 years, um, that it's really about Australia's defence. We, yeah. we see that this equipment is mainly there to support American activities like the aforementioned uh, in, um, interdiction of um, uh, choke points um, and in more general terms the American um, aggressive moves on China. We're not trying to paint China as some sort of a, uh, an angel. The, the, they, they've made many mistakes in the South China Sea and they, they should be talking um, more effectively with their neighbours about that. But that's their business with their neighbours, not yeah. America's business or Australia's. That's their coast and their their region, not 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 ours. So that's that's what um, they should be doing to reduce, um, uh, you know, possible military confrontations. But um, you know, Australia, the US, and Australia's at its tail are, are inserting themselves into that situation for um, not for, for benign purposes. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the situation. We think that we we uh, equipment like um, well, think of um, three air warfare destroyers to defend the whole of Australia, or um, eight, I think it is, um, anti-submarine uh, uh, frigates and twelve submarines, the future submarines, which would be, you know, half of them would be imported at any one time. To defend a continent the size of Australia, it's not really about that. It's about helping to defend American fleets uh, yeah. for, for offensive purposes. Yeah. So it's spending far too much and not the right things for defending Australia. <clears throat> but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not about predominantly the defence of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And this is an issue we'll, keep, we'll continue to keep tabs on and, and speak about. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Stephen. That's all right. No worries. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school. Kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAP. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. 
Feed Radical Radio. Your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to more than Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Testimonia ila ila 3CR Community Radio araja al istrakel an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanoli 3CRi kertu kondir kondir kal. Inre inayungal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio y Gairanin, Boretanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artanakrevetsek Ipertrisiari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. FreeCR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. FreeCR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at FreeCR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 8.15am. Um, before uh, those, those announcements, we heard George speaking to a representative from IPAN about the increased uh, military presence in Australia. Um, up now, we have our um, sort of sort of monthly uh, queer space interview. Uh, today, we are going to be speaking with Kate Ford and Marie Claire Machen. Um, good morning, Kate and Marie Claire. Can you hear me? Yeah. Good morning, Zoya. Yeah, good morning, Joy. Fabulous. You're both on air. That's very, very exciting. <laughs> I always get very nervous when there's a conference call because technology and trusting it, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, so you're on today to talk about some training that the two of you have developed called Breaking Out of the Binary, a queer feminist approach to practice with LGBTIQ plus people experiencing intimate partner or family violence. Can you tell me um, a bit about yourselves and about what this training is, how you developed it? Sure. Um, So Mary Claire and I both work in queer space and Mary Claire manages the family violence part of the work. Um, My background's uh, sort of more general mental health social work and sort of queer feminist theory. So we um, sort of put our backgrounds together to come up with a training that looked at some of the foundational aspects of 
um, why there are barriers to access for LGBTI people to accessing family violence services um, and combine those various theoretical um, sort of approaches. But also Mary Claire has a very long background in um, family violence, mainstream family violence uh, services, so has a, a long history with actually how the family violence uh, system works. Mm, and why is training specific to this space needed? Do you want to pop in, Mary Claire? <laughs> it's hard in a conference call, isn't it? It is. It is. I feel like I should... Maybe this is good, good training for me if I ever have to panel something. Um, so, Mary Claire, why don't you tell me, why is, why is training like this specifically needed? I think because when we were working in the men's violence against women, for so long it wasn't... That violence wasn't recognised. And so... What we did is pushed for um, we pushed for recognition of it, and in that we got a very strong message that it's men's violence against women and that and women and children, and that's really important. But what happened is that people who didn't fit those categories were dropped off by the side. So we. People, like all of the information that we hear about family violence and the um, ads that we see the government put out, all have men's violence against women and children. And so for LGBTIQ people, you often didn't recognise yourselves in those ads and you wouldn't recognise yourself in the prevention message and so you're much less likely to come forward. And because you're less likely to come forward, services are less likely to know how to work with you. So there was a huge gap. Um, and it was recognised by the Royal Commission into Family Violence, which was one of the um, recommendations, is that there are services specifically for LGBTIQ people in family and intimate partner violence. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the Royal Commission, so I understand that uh, Queer Space is being funded as a result of that Royal Commission to run this training? Um, uh, well, Queer Space... Sorry, no, there you go. Yeah. No, you go. <laughs> well, Queer Space is funded as a specialist LGBTIQ plus family violence service, and so our, um, if you like, our sort of delivery of services and clinical delivery there is funded by the government um, and the, the government has also been very committed to um, to exactly what Mary Claire was just talking about which is um, a kind of campaign to uh, make services and the general community aware of um, prevalence of mm. um, family violence and intimate partner violence in um, queer relationships yeah. uh, as well. Yeah absolutely because um, as you said before um, you know people working in this space aren't too sure how to respond to that form of family mm -hmm. violence because it's it's not as well known in the mainstream so looking at this training that you are doing what kinds of things does it cover um well it, as the very long and catchy title explains it's um an attempt to bring together a whole lot of different things a theoretical approach knowledge of um what we what we call sort of the content specific stuff around what you need to know um or that you need to know 
a bunch of stuff about queer communities and say what the risk and protective factors are for queer relationships, which are in many ways have a lot in common with non-queer relationships, but also have specific um, things which are, um, you know, which come out of the specific experience of being queer in in this world. Um, so it brings those things together into what we call a practice approach, which is, um, I guess, the part that Mary Claire is, um, has developed more than I have um, around how to... So we're, we're talking about recognising barriers to access through theory and content, and then we're talking about how you practice in a context where people are either experiencing or, or using violence. Yeah, absolutely. That, 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 that sounds like a, a really um, effective way of, of, of putting together something like this. Um, and in terms of, of, you know, you speak about for people who work in this space, who, what sorts of, um, you know, practitioners or, or people should, do you think would gain benefit from going to this training? I guess I think that um, it's very broadly applicable to many, many service providers because we're all seeing LGBTIQ or queer people even if we're not aware that they are. Mm. And there's so much family violence around. So, you know, we think about it should be for mental health workers, community health workers, um, AOD, housing and homelessness, legal service providers, maternal and child health practitioners, um, and it's also practical and suitable for family violence workers. So mm. it, it just, like anybody who's working with people in the social services could use the training, like they would get something from it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um and how long uh, have you been doing this training? So we developed it in in 2018 mm. um, to, as I said, when this service got off the ground and we were talking about not only upskilling mainstream but also upskilling ourselves mm. because we realised that um, because it's a new area and, as Mary Claire said, mainstream family violence is, has a very particular context and most family violence workers are trained within that system. So what we realised was that we um, needed to think through the combination of a sort of queer feminist approach to practice, which we already had, and putting that into the family violence context in which there are um, sort of, I guess, questions about how we think of patriarchal power and how it is used and dispersed mm. in the in the culture. So those, those are challenging questions on a daily basis, how, wherever you practice. So since 2018, we've been thinking about that and, and using, the, um, using the training in a way to keep on developing our yeah. own practice um, within queer space. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think that's the fact that there's only been something like this around since September 2018, you know, since 2018 is, is um, mm. you know, it really shows the extent to which this space needs, needs, needs more people like you working in it. Um, just very quickly, uh, this, I understand you have some training coming up soon. Can you let me know the details of those? That's Wednesday, the 25th of March. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in Coburg because we have a site now in Coburg, which is on the corner of Harding and Sydney Road. Mm. And it's from 9.30 in the morning till 1 o'clock. And it's $90 plus GST. And you can get, you can register on the Queer Space or Drummond Street website. 
Fantastic. I think that sounds like really valuable training for anyone working in this space. Um, Mary-Claire and Kate, thank you so much for coming in to talk about this training, and uh, good luck running it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. And if anything from that segment brought up stuff for you, you can call QLife, which is an anonymous and free LGBTI peer support and referral service. For anyone, if you want to talk about any issue at all, you can call them. They are available from 3 p.m. to midnight, and the number is 1-800-184-527. And if you are in immediate crisis, um, in family violence crisis, you can call Safe Steps, and the number is one 800 015188 Wear your Radical Radio colours in one of 3CR's new t-shirts The bright new design comes straight from this year's popular Radiothon poster designed by Aisha Tufa T-shirts cost $30 to pick up or $37 with postage So drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy Call 9419-8377 to place your order Or buy one online at 3cr.org.au slash shop 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts. Get Get one one now. (laughs) The Taranta Festival is back for five days of music, dance, visual arts and food, celebrating Southern Italian and Mediterranean culture. Featuring... Direct from Italy, the voice of Enza Pagliara, Vittario Mucci, Tarantula Garganica, and the pick of local acts including Alara, Delirium, Santa Taranta, Opabato, Arte Canela, Cavisha Mazzella, plus the launch of the Melbourne Taranta Orchestra, and more. Melbourne Taranta Festival, from the 11th to the 15th of March. Full program and tickets available online via trybooking.com and tarantafestival.com.au Abalati The Taranta Festival is a 3CR supporter. This is Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. That is the end of our show, pretty much. Uh, What a fabulous show. Really, really valuable interviews some ramblings from us that you know about goats i don't know Um, (laughs) we thought we'd just cap it off with um kind of having a chat about some of the things that are coming up this week obviously we have international women's day at the end of the week uh 3cr will be broadcasting 24 hours of content around international women's day and all the intersectional voices that need to be heard in that space Mm. Uh, there's also a workshop with Claire Land at the Emily Baker Community Centre all about decolonising solidarity Think in the spirit of International Women's Day. That's a really important point to make. Mm. Um, it has been run by Extinction Rebellion. Um, it's a public event and you can find details about it on the Extinction Rebellion Facebook page. And mm. it is tomorrow between 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. Fabulous. And often solidarity is something that gets so often co-opted, isn't it? That term solidarity. Um, so decolonizing that is really, really important. Yeah. So who did we hear from today on the show? Oh, we heard from... So many people. Yeah. So many people. <laughs> uh, we spoke earlier to Saxon Mullins and doc- Dr. Rachel um, Burgeon about um, rape laws and the progress and mm. future of um, sexual violence laws in this country. 
We spoke to Tori Hobbs from the Vermilion Project about Endometriosis Awareness Month and then Stephen Daly from IPAN about the federal government's billion-dollar upgrade to Tyndall Air Base in the NT. Mm. We uh, had a chat to Mary-Claire Machen and um, Kate Ford from Queerspace about upcoming training on the 25th of March for people working um, in the family violence space and the importance of a queer-centred focus on that because it's something we don't uh, think about too much um coming up soon we will have accent of women after a brief uh community service we'll catch you next week and we'll catch you next week bye (laughs) get your copy of 3cr's magnificent book it's a stunning history of the people programs and issues at the station since 1976 on sale now for the amazing price of just 20 dollars pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.